Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hey gang, I want to welcome you to a special edition of Life Uncloseted, the podcast. And why are we doing this special podcast? Because I'm done. I'm done people thinking, oh, I don't have a closet I'm coming out of, or oh, I don't have anything wrong. I'm not hiding anything. The reason this is so important to me is every one of us has closets. And if you are living in America or across the globe right now, you are experiencing something coming out of the closet in a really, really big way. And for most of you, you realize probably where I'm going, we are talking about the racism, all this stuff that's come out of the closet, white privilege, anti-racism, whatever you want to call it. All these things are on the table. They are all fully out of the closet. And it's time to have real conversations. And I'm just one voice that wants to bring this to it. I'm going to admit I don't know everything. I would never admit that I did. But I also want to be able to bring a perspective that might be slightly different by relating this to these closet adventures apply to all of us in so many ways. And this is a big closet. So I decided I would bring somebody that I have literally had more fun playing with in my life in so many different ways. And I don't mean like a gay play game sort of thing, you know, but I might go there with him too. But I just wanted you to know that this guy is a buddy that I've met through World Domination Summit, an amazing, amazing conference where we are invited to play. We are invited to show up with adventure community and being of service. And I couldn't think of anybody better, not because... I know everything he's going to say because I don't have a flying fuck what he's going to say, but I know he's going to deliver it. He's going to take us to church and back. My buddy, Jeff Harry, who is the play guy, he has so much fun in life. And I know he's going to bring a very, very candid conversation. And he is not white. He is a black brother and he is going to deliver. So, okay, man, the show is yours. I'm shutting the fuck up and it's yours. Just run away. <laughs> What's up? Uh, Jeff Harry, hey, no, 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 so no pressure Rick, there, Jeff. Yeah. Thanks so much, Rick. I yeah. really appreciate this, man. Um, I think I think it would be great to start. I love this quote, and I'm just gonna read a section of it, but it sure. really like brings home for me a lot of what um I feel needs to be addressed. Because I think when we talk about racism, well, first off, we talk about a lot of words and we don't usually have an agreement on what those words mean. So that is a big issue. But um, when it comes up to racism, I think a lot of times we think, well, that person's racist. And it's like this caricature from some like movie or something like that. But this quote I love, um, it's from Scott Woods. And he basically was like, the problem is that white people see racism as conscious hate when racism is bigger than that. Racism is a complex system of social and political levers and pulleys set up generations ago to continue working on the behalf of whites at other people's expenses, whether whites know or like it or not. Racism is an insidious 
cultural disease. Yep. Um, and I think what really resonates with that is that I think a lot of people don't talk about how that privilege has affected their own life. They like to like point fingers at like Trump and like anyone that's part of the Republican party. And they're like, yeah, we got to deal with that. And it's like, no, nah, dude, you got to deal with your own internal mess mm -hmm. and your own privilege. Even me being a male, I have to own my own. What privileges do I have? Right. And really ask yourself, how have these privileges helped me? Am I willing to give these up? And I'm, am I willing to give up power? Mm -hmm. And that is the bigger question I feel needs to be had. I agree. It is about power. And even as a gay man, I have felt that power piece play out. It's like, okay, no, no, you can't be that because that's not who you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And as soon as, as soon as somebody has said that, and at first when people used to say that to me in my many, many years, way back in the stone age, when I was a young man, they would say stuff like that to me. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. But then I started to realize that's a whole power play. Mm -hmm. You're trying to tell me I can't be who I am. Mm -hmm. Now, there's no equating this to the racism piece. There's a small sliver of it I feel like I can equate to it because I feel the pain of being discriminated against. I feel the pain of being told I'm less than. But let's just be honest, folks. You guys have heard me on this podcast many times, and you're going to probably hear a side of me that you've never heard before. Until I open my mouth and go, girl, I as gay as they come, and you're just going to have to deal with it. You have no idea that I'm gay. And most of you who've never seen me, those of you who've seen my, my ugly mug on my website and stuff, I'm a big dude. Jeff knows, because he's scared of me. I mean, when we see each other, he's like, girl, don't even touch me. But Nobody, honestly, Jeff, I don't think you wouldn't have known when we first met that I was gay until it even came Ooh. up in a conversation. And so my privilege is A, I'm white. The second privilege is I do happen to be a white gay man, which in the whole gay culture is a whole nother thing. But I don't let that emanate out of me unless I make a point of letting somebody into that little quote part of my life. Right. And this is where, for me, I know, for me, because it's my podcast and it's all about me, just kidding, is where I really have to check my privilege. I really have to check it. I can take it so far, but I have to really look at this when I see what's happening and ask the questions, how can I even begin to understand this? Right. Because so I think I, I'm pretty evolved. I know yeah, I'm Yeah, because it's funny. There's, there's something I keep hearing, like, it's a privilege to be able to learn about racism instead of experiencing it. You know, you felt prejudiced, so you can at least uh, equate to that. But right. for, a, you know, a lot of people, like, you know, have you, have, have uh, to ask some of your audience, have you ever felt like you had to act white? Right. Like, that's what I have to do. That's what a lot of my mm -hmm. friends have to do. You know, a lot of my family have to do. We have to act a certain way when we enter a workspace, when we enter a space where we're the minority a lot of the time. And the thing that's kind of ironic about this is like, I now have some of like my white friends that are like reaching out and they're like, are you okay? Like, how are you doing? Like, I can't believe it's this bad. And, it, and it's funny because a, a part of me is like, I appreciate the gesture and also none of this is new. 
Like, mm-hmm. none of it is new. Like, this has been going on forever. Like, literally forever. You yeah. know, at least 400 years. Or at least since 1619, if you want to mm-hmm. put a date on it. Right. At least here in America. So it's just, so this idea that, um, like, like, that we should be surprised. If anything, I'm only surprised by the reaction. Yeah. Because a lot of times what's really interesting about the reaction this time, it's very similar to what happened in the 60s when Emmett Till got killed and it was just, and there was no excuse for this person getting killed. And then you saw on TV, and this was like when there was a, not many channels and they, and you showed cops, you know, getting um, or having protesters attacked by dogs mm-hmm. and you saw uh, people getting shot at with hoses and then the American public had to look at themselves and were like, is this, is this right? This can't be, this can't be America. This is supposed to be, you know, the summer of love. This is supposed to be a great time. And instead, is this really happening in America? And it's like, yeah, this has been happening. Like we've been fighting this for a while. Um, But welcome to the party. And I'm happy you're here. But yeah. Like, but to that point, Jeff, I think, and I've heard this from other black friends of mine and other people of color. My husband is, is a person of color himself and being Hispanic, it's a, a whole other thing that can happen in that realm of, Oh, are you here illegally? Right. Yeah. Fuck you. You know? Um, but it's an interesting space of, okay, welcome to the party, but how are you going to be in the party? I think that's right. a really bigger question. And I think that's up. a part where it's, it's a combination of a few things because some people are open to it, but a lot of people may not be where it's just like, tell me what to do. And it's like, it's not my job partly, you know, to tell y'all like I can, but you know, if, if you're like an organizer, you're doing a lot of stuff. At least some of my friends that are like on the front lines, they don't have time. Like in this, what they want at that point is go educate yourself, do some of the research, watch like, eyes on the prize at 13 and you know and every single like thing you can get your hands on watch all jane elliott stuff and really like start to like challenge your internalized white privilege and then when you've figured that out probably while you're doing that you'll start to figure out what you should do next Mm -hmm. but i think a lot of times people want you know then to be told like is this how I can help? And it's like, I don't know how you you can contribute right now. This is what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and you can hop on if you want, but this is what I'm doing. But I don't have time to like walk you through this because again, that's, that's part of the privilege. Again, it's just like, do I now need to teach this person that doesn't know, you know, and educate them about all these things in order for them to act? I, it's, it's not my responsibility. And frankly, what we really want, or I'll speak for myself, I won't speak for everybody, but frankly, what I would love to see people do is to do a lot of their own educating on their own and owning up to their own stuff. And then they don't need to public, like I have some friends that are like, I publicly wrote this letter that is an anti-racist letter. It's like, congratulations, dude. Like, do you want a cookie? I don't know who you are right now, but like, good, great. Now keep doing stuff, you know, but figure out what you need to do next because right. I'm not here to, to lay it out for you. Right. 
It's a very and complex issue. It's interesting that you, I, I kind of figured this would come up because my, my husband and I were having this conversation last night and we were having the conversation about, well, it's not my responsibility to help you. And I said, I feel that because there's two sides to that. There's one side of me that says, well, yeah, kind of it is. But on the flip side, it's more my, my, my own responsibility. If somebody comes up to me and says, well, tell me what I can do to help support the gay community. Oh, hey, here, you take a checkbook and you write a check, okay? <laughs> right, right. But that's, that's kind of like, I almost feel like, really? Think about this. I'm being told I can't have a home because I'm gay. Mm -hmm. I'm being told I can't be working this workforce because I'm gay. I'm told I don't deserve the same rights as somebody else who wants to be happily married, which is not all it's cracked up to be. I'm just kidding. I love you, honey. Um, but it's that interesting space of, yes, I don't need to tell you, but here's what I'm going to offer you. Right. <laughs> offer you, here's what happens for me. Now, you go figure out how you want to have impact there. Yeah. That's to me where I have found the bridge of, I'm not gonna tell you what to go do, but let me show you, let me just show you a little slice of my life. My buddy Jeff, at any moment he can walk out of his house and for any stupid goddamn reason, he could become the next George Floyd just because he happens to be a black guy. Now, luckily, so to speak, he's not gonna pass as quote black as some people because he's a very handsome, lighter skinned black guy. But that's going to cause some problems, too, in his own community at times. I have black friends who are like, yeah, I'm not black enough. And so I get that crap thrown at me, too. Mm. And it's, it's just such an interesting dynamic we're living in right now that suddenly we can become eating our own, you know? Yeah, so, so, so I guess crazy. the suggestion I would have if there was like an offering I would give, Yep. Because there's so many, right? You could go to the Medium article and look at the 75 ways in which you can contribute. You know, you can look up all these other options you can do, right? You could get on yep. Netflix and watch everything that's free that's, that's yeah, currently right. made by a black, you know, filmmaker. Um, my challenge to people would be find a way in which you can put yourself in the minority. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and now you can't travel, but when you can travel, go, go and and place yourself in minority experiences where you are the minority yeah. and just see how that feels and sit in that. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're going to start to get like an inkling of what that is like, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, just that's just a snippet of it. And then the other part that I would offer people is I would offer them to, to challenge their own internalized racism and privilege. How have I benefited from the system? Do I actually really want this system to change? Do I really want to defund the police? Because if I defund the police, maybe my neighborhood is going to have more other people getting into my neighborhood. Am I comfortable with that? Like, this is really questioning not just people's, like, moral values, but also a lot of their conveniences, yep. you know? So how comfortable are we in America that are we willing to let go of certain conveniences and certain power? And that's, that's hard, man. Like the Reddit founder, he like yep. left, he, he's just stepped down from his board yep. so he could put a person of color in the executive board at Reddit. That's a big deal, dude. But are people willing to do stuff like that? I don't know. You know and if, you, if you're not willing to do something like that, which is a, is a really big step, what 
would you be willing to do? Mm -hmm. How would you be willing to use your privilege to either be on the front lines so that you get the brunt of the police action or what other things are you willing to do to step up and, and um, provide a voice to the voiceless? Yeah. Right now, oh. I think there's a lot of um, uh, women, white thought leaders that are giving their platforms for a day to a yep. bunch of black, um, powerful female thought leaders that usually don't get that platform. So like Brene Brown is like giving her Instagram live to, I believe like Lovey or, yeah, or, yeah. or maybe Ava DuVernay, but they're giving the platform to voices that usually wouldn't have a voice. Yep. How do you want to go about and do that? Yep. Makes total sense. But I also have a question for you, Jeff, because I've heard this come up a couple of times. So when Reddit CEO, board member, whatever he did it, I started hearing some rumbles in the black community. Well, that's nice, but that was just a, a move to kind of like play with us. <laughs> and I was like, okay, but okay, then what are we to do? He makes a move like that. And I saw his move is very sincere. I, I saw that, but I also can see that other like, okay, do we, are we making a move like this? And I know some people make moves like that. And it's like, okay, look, I did it. Thank you. Right. You know? right. So I, I, think, I think what we're talking about is we're talking about performative, mm -hmm. um, you know, activism. Yep. It's are you performing so that you can get a certain result so you can go back to what you were doing before, gotcha. right? Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and frankly, people are going to judge you regardless, yep. right? If you donate a million dollars to Black Lives Matter, someone will be like, why don't you donate $2 million? Right. So, you know, like people are going to judge you regardless. So you, yep. there's, there's nothing perfect that you can do. And they're like, good job. But if you know that you're doing it for the right reasons and understanding why, I believe the Reddit founder understood the reasons why and clearly communicated what he was doing, right? Yep. But when I see, and I hate to say this because I don't want to like knock people that I'm trying to support, but when someone is putting a kente cloth on, Right. And putting it over their shoulders and getting on their knees and then being like, hey, everybody take photos. We got to get, we got to get photos from this angle. You got to get photos from this angle, you know, or I see Instagram influencers going out on protests and putting up their signs and being like, I'm for the movement. And then as soon as they get the photo, they leave. Like right. then you just start to see that as performative activism where you aren't doing it for the right reasons. So you're always going to get judged. But you should at least know that your moral compass is focused in the right direction when you're doing an action. Right. And if you're only doing it to get love or likes, you know, or retweet, right. mm -hmm. just don't do it. Right. It's better for you to not do anything. And part of the reason that I knew I wanted to do this and this and, and Jeff knows there's another person that I'm trying to get on as well is not because, okay, let's hit why the iron's hot. I started looking over my podcast and the people who are showing up and it's just because there are people that show up in my life, but there's not a whole lot. First of all, I'm going to admit there's not a whole lot of black representation. There's not a whole lot of female representation. Now I'm not defending where I'm at, but my world is all about helping men in midlife come out of the closet. Mm -hmm. So there's that interesting juxtaposition there. However, now that life uncloseted has moved to this interesting, let's talk about other closets we're coming out of. Right. I feel fully alive to have this kind of conversation because 
There's so many things that are about people coming out of closets. I'm ready to have the, the conversations with women who are like, and actually we did have a, a conversation with a couple of women around, okay, the Me Too movement just brought women out of the closet of no more. And I feel like it's important to start to be this. And so consciously for me, as I looked at this, I'm like, part of what I'm seeking out, not like, okay, let's just do it for the next few weeks. Part of what I'm starting to seek out is who's going to be on this podcast that represents that I am this guy who sees the world in its multifaceted, very beautiful, multicultural way. So that it's not just, oh, look, Rick has all these white guys coming out of the closet talking about shit. It's not what I want. In fact, right. ironically, as we're recording this, uh, a podcast came out today. And this one's kind of a big mouthful to say. So, Filipino, trans woman, albino. Now, talk about some shit she's got to put up with. It's crazy. And she talks about the discrimination within her own community because, mm. first of all, Filipino. Second of all, trans woman. Third of all, albino who can pass as a white female cisgender woman. Mm. She got it coming at her from all angles right now. But to what we're talking about today, again, she said, when I get asked, how can I understand you? And she didn't, she said it on the podcast and she said, actually, can you delete that? I'm like, sure. She goes, go fucking do the work. <laughs> go fucking do the work. Ask the right questions. Have a conversation for God's sake. Yeah. Have it's so much different when, uh, you know, when I look at what's happened over the last week and I've had several conversations with friends and, and some with people who are not friends who are showing up in other areas of my work, I have literally said, I'm not going to ask you what I can do. I'm offering up, I want to be here and I want to show up. And so here's what I'm doing. Do you think that will have impact? I'm coming with a solution. Yes. That's the difference. I know the books that I'm reading. I know, and some of them I was reading well before all this shit came out. But I'm thinking about who can most benefit from it. And one of the things that I put on my to-do list today was there's a couple of books that I'm reading that I definitely, the white privilege books and stuff like that that I want to send to some of the gay and lesbian centers because man, our community is as I'm going to say it racist as it comes sometimes. Mm -hmm. Oh, no blacks, no Asians, no da, 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 da. Okay. Well then bitch, go back in your gay racist space and get over it. I understand if you're not attracted to Asian people, I understand if you're not attracted to black people, that's your choice. But when you're, you know, your little posts on your little hookup sites, or even I've seen this on a couple of people's dating sites, like not into Asians, not into blacks. I'm like, I bet you like Chinese food and you sure can put down some chicken and watermelon, not to be racist, but let's go there. It pisses me off. And I think this is the interesting stuff that what we need to start having is conversations. Yes. Yes. Even the chicken and watermelon references need to have a conversation around them. Yeah, I mean, I, it's people. If you want, when people say do the work, it's what we're asking you is to be is to get uncomfortable. Mm. There was this tweet I saw recently that I really loved. What it was, the person wrote, "Unlearning white supremacy isn't Instagrammable." Mm -hmm. 
It's deeply personal, existential, and difficult work. You often feel horrible. It will make you cry. You might become depressed. It can be very lonely and isolating. It will shatter your ego and your belief system. Yep. Do it anyway. And that is what we ask when we're asking people to do the work. There was this guy that I loved, white dude, like unassuming white dude uh, that I knew at Tufts when I went there. His name was Spencer, Spencer Wise. And I was like, you know, just like, you know, Tufts is a predominantly white place. And I was like, oh, you know, just always dealt with the same bullshit. Right. But this guy, Spencer, fucking, imp- I'm sorry, imp- it really impressed me so much um, because this guy went to Ghana, lived there for a year during his like junior year, did that whole, did that whole like study abroad thing. Only white dude to go. Mm. You know, when he came back and he was describing it to us and describing actually seeing those places where slaves were actually transported to the boats, he would describe it in tears. And I was like, this dude is doing the work. He was one of the first people I ever met that was Caucasian that was doing the work. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that, but I'm saying you definitely have to be uncomfortable. And this is not just for people that are white. You know, I'm, I'm black and Filipino. There are a lot of Filipinos or just a lot of Asians that got a lot of internal racism themselves yep. that rank yep. white people even above their own race sometimes. So let's question that as well. Like exactly. it, it's a whole, it's, it's tough because you could be a really good person that is still contributing to a white supremacist type system. And that is really hard. I feel that happens with a lot of the police where they're like, I'm a good cop, but it's just like, yeah, you're a good cop in a system that's really morally bankrupt. Yeah. So you can try to do stuff, but until we're willing to like address the system, which means you addressing your power and your privilege, we can't really change it. Exactly. And that's what I'd be asking people to do. In fact, I was on a call with one of, so <clears throat> most people know that I work for another company where I coach speakers and I was working with one of my speakers coaching him and he's an amazing guy. He, he tries to do some of the systemic work in the schools that he works with and, and helping teachers figure out ways to bring this about in a way that isn't like, you know, we're going to, you're going to take over and you're going to do this. They're like, we need to have these conversations in the classroom and help the students get uncomfortable and help them feel some of this. And he asked me point blank. He says, have you ever seen the documentary 13th? I'm like, no, I've heard about it, but I, mm-hmm. and so my husband and I watched it the other night and I, I tell you by the end of it, a, I was so angry. Mm-hmm. B I was scared because mm-hmm. if you really sit and watch a movie like that, and if you really open your mind, this could fucking happen to any of us just because of who we are. Mm. It takes one little group, as we've seen with the KKK and some of these others, to suddenly decide you're not worthy and you could be the next person on the auction block. Yep. And if you don't buy into that, I hate to say it, you are very delusional because it could happen in a heartbeat. And again, I'm kind of coming from my own LGBTQ experience, but it's such a whitewashed 
attitude of, oh, well, that's just them. Really? How soon will it be before suddenly, oh, you're obese, so yep. you, you don't deserve this? And that already happens. We don't even have to go there. That already happens too. I think when you ask, what can I do? As Jeff said, go stand in the shoes and get uncomfortable. Yeah. Put yourself in a space where you are not sure you really want to be there. Yeah. I, I remember a couple of years ago, I went to speak in Watts in LA at a high school on LGBTQ stuff. And I had a great experience, but I'm going to tell you this big white boy was shaking in his boots the whole freaking time because a, I knew I was talking about a subject that most of the kids sitting there who may be that we're going to be shaking in their boots to even think that somebody could talk about this in public. And on top of that, I'm a big white boy in that neighborhood. Mm. But that was all my white privilege standing there when I knew, you know what? I wouldn't have got invited here if the principal didn't think it was valuable for me to be here. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have got invited here if the principal wasn't going to make sure to the best of that person's ability that everybody who walks onto his campus is going to be taken care of. And when we check that kind of privilege at the door is when we start to learn. Right. And I was so glad to have that experience because there were so many interesting conversations I ended up having with some kids who were scared, not just because they were gay, but they were gay and lesbian. And one trans student came up to me and talked and they knew in their own community, this was just adding another layer to the potential racism. Mm. And this is why I feel like these conversations have to happen. We don't have to 100% get somebody, but we got to try. Right. Because if we don't, shame on us. And, I mean, Jeff, and Jeff, Jeff and I both know what it's like to be bald men. So come on, come on, step over here into our world. <laughs> Shave your head. So because it's also there is a power. And, and being that, you know, I play for a living, I get people to play, that's my thing. I have people have hard conversations and I use play as the method to do that. Um, there is a permission part that when you are willing to speak up and even say stuff and be like, Hey, I'm ignorant. I'm trying to figure this out. And I'm putting this out here that I'm just trying to figure out my privilege. Um, by you simply saying that, that does give permission for others to also do the same. And that is a big deal because then all of a sudden you have people that typically don't talk about race finally actually talking about race, which is great, right? But don't you I know think someone Jeff that's too just that... starting to have that conversation at her company where yeah. they, they were just like, let's talk. I don't know. This person was running this workshop. She was like, I don't know how I'm going to run it, but I just want to bring up what is going on here. And mm -hmm. simply like, let's address the word white privilege and let's just process that together. She right. didn't know what she was doing, but she was trying, you know, right. she was making that step, you know, circling back though, just for one second, it's just like uh, the part that can frustrate me. Um, and just to put yourself uh, in not even so much my shoes, but you know, many people of color shoes is I remember recently I was, I was at a pretentious conference and I'm sitting next to this guy. 
uh, this white guy. And he's like in his early 30s. And I was like, hey, man, what do you do? And he was like, oh, I'm retired. And I was like, what? I was like, you're retired? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm retired. You know, I made it big, um, uh, you know, uh, opening up like my own weed app, you know, in Colorado. And we made a lot of money off of it. So I'm trying to figure out what I want to do next, if I want to travel or I want to, you know, do all these things. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, there was a whole population of black and brown men targeted specifically mm-hmm. for small possessions of marijuana so they could put more people in jail to contribute to the prison industrial complex yep. so those prisons could get paid more money and they could have more labor so they could charge companies to run businesses and only pay these like prisoners 50 cents an hour to do this work. A whole generation of people lost their lives, decades of their life, mm-hmm. if not their entire life to this. And then weed gets legalized and you are considered a hero mm-hmm. and like put on weed magazines and celebrated. You could retire early off your millions while this whole population is screwed for the same thing. Mm-hmm. It just like blows my mind that there's so many situations like that. And it just, it just, that part gets super old, super quick to see that. So really like challenging these um, social structures is something that I think needs to happen both at an individual level and at an organizational level as well. But I think the frustrating part that shows up there is people say, what can I do? And I would, you know, I'm hoping whoever's listening to this really gets what I'm about to say. Here's what you can do. Connect the fucking dots. Like literally hear a story like what Jeff just told and connect the dots. See how people who are in prison because of these minor infractions and other people make millions of dollars about something. And I, I don't think Jeff or I either one are going to say, we know things evolve. But then if all of this now has evolved, there should be a mass release of everybody who ever got put into jail for a minor mm-hmm. infraction of mm-hmm. holding pot. Mm-hmm. There's the dot. Be willing to connect the dot and go, wait, time out, time out, time out. This doesn't make sense now. You know, it's that interesting piece that people and white people specifically, and I'm speaking as a good old white boy, sometimes it's like, okay, I got to open the eye a little bit more to really see that connection. But yet that's sometimes the hardest piece is you just got to open your eye just a little bit more and connect that right dot. Right. And, and it's even the question of like, where is your power? Right. What power do you currently have? Mm-hmm. Because then let's talk about your power. Like um, someone I know named Brandy Riley wrote this article that went viral that um, on LinkedIn called Do Black Lives Matter Enough? for you to hire them for leadership positions. Mm. And she was just like, let's tag all of the companies that you work for and send this to the executives. Because who are we, because even that question of like, who are you hiring? How are you putting people of color in positions of power? Are you willing to step down or at least allow someone else to speak up? You know, you know what is the representation when you look at your, your executive board, or even your team. You know, when was the last 
person of color you hired? And it, was that simply just someone because you were forced to out of tokenism? Um, mm -hmm. And then the bigger question, and this is the question for a lot of organizations, is is your organization really willing to challenge their own biases and try to fix things? Or are they simply sending out that, you know, we support Black Lives Matters email and then being like, all right, let's get back to business the way it was. Because that's where really what we're asking is, do mm -hmm. you really want it to change? Because a lot of us that are protesting in many different ways have been asking for this and challenging this for decades and nothing has changed because, because people that are currently in power choose not for it to change. There's a deliberate action being taken on. And then other people who are just indifferent and are like, well, what can I do? Well, you can do something. So figure out where your power is and then do something about it. I love that. I love the piece of where, figure out where your power is and do something with it. And I think this conversation today is kind of a reflection of that. I don't care if a hundred people hear this today. My power is being able to bring a voice of teach us, help me understand without saying, okay, Jeff, teach us everything. You've, been, you've given us some thoughts. You've shown me some ways to look at things and to go, okay, I know where I can go. And I know where I do know where I'm going. There's a lot of places I'm going and I'm reaching out and doing things. But I also keep questioning in my own head from my own experience, is it enough? Is it enough that people stood up for me as a gay man? Is it enough that people stood up for me with gay marriage? Is it enough? It will never be enough. Mm. And this is where the, the, the two worlds definitely collide. It will never be enough until everybody is treated fairly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the missing piece. And, you know, I, I, I hope this doesn't end up being, okay, we had the flash in the pan and in right. a few weeks, right. I, it could be, but then I think something else is going to happen. And, and just, just seeing that now more and more and more stories and videos and everything is coming out about it's happened here and it's happened here. It happened just recently. It ha this is not going to be quiet. No lot more so than it was when gay marriage finally were like, this is not going to be quiet any longer. Where do we go from here? I don't know, but it's got to be better where, than where we are. Got to be better. Without and it's got to be, and, and I feel like this so wholeheartedly, it's got to be deliberate. People have to be deliberate about it and not think that, you know, they say one thing, they post a couple tweets and, you know, and then they're like, okay, uh, uh, that's good. All right, let me get back to, to normal because right. there, this is not normal or we've accepted this chaos as normal. And, and I forgot who the speaker was, but she was phenomenal. Um, I got to find her name. I think it was like Lisa Morgan or something like that, but she was speaking direct to camera after one of the protests and she was, she was trying to explain the frustration because people were like, I can't believe there's all this looting. I can't believe all this is happening. And what she was saying was she was just like, you broke the contract. The contract was that if, if someone steals or I steal, someone comes in and rectifies that situation. But if the person that's supposed to come in is killing us, then why should we follow the rules? Like, why should we, you know, compromise again because 
we're not protesting in the way you don't you you want us to. You didn't like us protesting when we were kneeling. You didn't like us protesting when we did the million million man march. You know, you didn't like us protesting when we're like out on the streets being peaceful. Like like we're not asking for your permission anymore to protest in your way so that you can continue to feel comfortable. The whole point of protest is to make you uncomfortable so that you start questioning whether or not you want to live in this morally bankrupt world or do you want to create something new with us? Because the reality is, and this is what she said, is she's like, you are lucky. You are so lucky that we are not looking for revenge, but simply equality. Because other people have been specifically looking for revenge, and that's when it gets violent. And we are simply asking to be treated fairly. As uh, James Baldwin said, we are simply being asked to be left alone. Just stop harassing us. We're not even asking for anything extra. Just leave us alone. Stop bothering us. Stop arresting us. Like, stop racially profiling us. You know, these are small things that, that anyone that has a certain amount of privilege and power can just take a step back and ask, am I contributing to this morally corrupt system? And then own that and then ask yourself, what are you willing to do that is super uncomfortable to change it? and go from there that's what i feel i think you're spot on man and as you were talking through that it <clears throat> it took me back to where i had to feel really uncomfortable i had to feel really uncomfortable to come out of my closet and i think at the end of this conversation i think both jeff and i are challenging everybody you have to get uncomfortable and come out of your closet of privilege you have to get uncomfortable and come out of your closet of, but I'm not racist. You have to get out of your closet and become uncomfortable with what you think the system is versus what the system truly is. Mm. It's not easy. Trust me. It is not easy to be uncomfortable. I do know that as a gay man. It is not easy to be uncomfortable and finally step out and say, this is me. This is who I am because it's so contrary to what quote society thinks we're supposed to be. But if you don't go get uncomfortable, you cannot understand somebody else's discomfort. Yes. Right there. Uh. Okay. So we've done our work today. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeff, for just being you and, and bringing this. I'm so glad that you were the guy that I wanted to at least start to heal in this way of bringing some more diversity into this podcast mm. because I knew I could have a really good conversation with you. Plus, Hey, us baldies have to stick together. So and, and I'll leave with this is like, you're not the only one that's gonna, that's taking risks, man. We're all having mm -hmm. a, uncomfortable conversations. They are, you, you have to realize there are people that are currently putting their lives at risk yep. by going out in this pandemic yep. because they feel they're willing to risk it all to speak at this moment in time. And I'll, I'll leave with this is like this, I guess this uh, CNN historian was saying there haven't been this many protests all across the nation and potentially even the world since 1968 
Yep. You know, when MLK was assassinated and then people came out into the streets. So this is like such a historical, momentous time. And my question to anyone that's listening, and I, I'm questioning myself when I, I say this, is where do you want to be in history? How will you want to look back 10 years from now and be like, did I show up? Did I fight for what is morally right? Or did I just sit on the sideline? That's the question you have for yourself. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, my friend, for being a voice, being who you are, and truly stepping up with me to bring this to my listeners and whoever will maybe hopefully start listening more to realize all of these closets are humanity's closets and it's time to bring everything out of the closet. So thanks for being here, bro. So thanks so much. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted. <laughs>